All right, welcome back to the latest episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoyas podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft. I'm here as always, or usually most of the time, Andrew Geiger, casual Hoya, and we hope to be joined at some point by Ben Standig of The Athletic. Andrew, what's up, man? Sports is pain. I've been telling you this since episode one of the podcast, sports is pain. As soon as you come to terms with it, everything is much brighter. Okay. So everyone okay. out there, the tens, the tens of people listening to this sports is pain. Accept we get pretty it, decent. Move on. Let's not, let's not slander our, our, at least, I don't know if they're all listening, but the, at least what I would call the downloaders. We're actually doing pretty good. Okay. So George, I meant, lost. I meant, I meant, I meant tens of hundreds of thousands. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Georgetown lost again last night. They're on a three-game slide. They drop a home game to Butler, 69-64, a game that they were winning by 11 and a half. They were up 14 at one point and a half. Uh, Hoyas are now 12-9. and nine. They are 2-6, and six, and they play at St. John's on Super Bowl Sunday in what will be the midpoint of their Big East slate of games. Now, Andrew, look, Butler was ranked. Georgetown was favored. But, you know, two weeks ago, Butler was in the top five. And they've got Kamara Baldwin. They've got one of the one of the better players. As Georgetown fans know, now know, they have one of the best shooters in, in the conference in, in uh, Sean McDermott. But I was, I don't know about you, but I was a little surprised that, for whatever reason, last night was the night that everyone decided they've sort of had enough of the season. And some people have sort of had enough of what's going on. No doubt. Um, the... <laughs> Pitchforks were certainly out last night. Uh, oh, hey, and first, really only... first, let's let's welcome Ben. Ben is with us now. Ben standing from the Athletic. Ooh, are we being? Are we recording right now? We are. We oh, had to go. We on. had to make an executive decision. But I told everyone in the beginning, you will be joining us, and you have joined us. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, this is exciting. Yeah. Um, I haven't, <laughs> all, I haven't all, podcasted. All... Yeah. Well, wel- welcome back. You know, you're back from Vegas. Good, good to have you aboard. Um, all I was going to say was the pitchforks, the pitchforks came out and really all it took was that four minute stretch to start the second half where our, you know, 11, 12 point lead, whatever it was at halftime became a quick five point deficit, a a pretty impressive thing to accomplish, even for Georgetown (laughs) to turn that lead into a deficit so quickly. Um, it, it was odd because right after that happened, you felt like you were kind of knocked out, but this was a tie game with like a minute left and the game was very winnable throughout yeah. and Georgetown just, just, just couldn't, just couldn't do it. It was just such a frustrating game from really every perspective. Um, and the fan base's reaction on Twitter and elsewhere uh, after the game, uh, people have had enough. A lot of people have had enough. Um, the The fans that are still with us, have definitely shown their disgust. Now, let's go right in to, let's fast forward to this morning when Casual Hoya, who I think is, I think Ben will probably back on this, has become the biggest voice of Georgetown from, you know, an outside perspective. You put out a tweet that was pretty optimistic. Can we sort of just kind of dissect that tweet for a couple minutes? If you want to read the tweet or I'm happy to just talk about it. Um, you can start talking. I will get the tweet up. Sorry. Basically, basically, look, I want, you know, everyone was, was really negative 
last night about the program as a whole. People started calling for Ewing to be fired. Um, you know, defensively, the team stinks. <laughs> Offensively, you know, your seven's terrible. Pickett's a joke. This is all Ewing's fault. The program's on, on the downward spiral. I just, you know, I woke up and I, I, I looked at all those tweets and I was like, guys, this is not, you, you can't use this season as a referendum on Ewing's t- tenure and based on everything that's happened. I mean, any, any fan could have watched that game and be upset with, the players themselves. I mean, how many shots did we miss from two feet out? It was just a crazy number of shots. You know, you see guys loafing up and down the floor. I'm not going to name names of kids, but we all watch the games. I just, you, you can't teach that stuff. You can't coach that stuff. You can't coach execution. You can coach schemes. Sure. You can coach plays. Sure. But missing all of those bunnies from so close, that's not something that Ewing can fix. And until okay. he's got, if, if, until he's got his 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 kids in there, personnel, you you can't you can't really judge him on it. So here's a tweet, real quick. Obviously, you've just described it, but let me just read it real quick. So you can't coach heart, you can't coach emotion, you can't coach kids to have an edge. A lot of heart, emotion, and that edge left the program in the great deflection or the great defection of 2019. Tough to recover from. The head coach is not the problem. He is part of the solution stay the course now i was in the arena i was sitting on the baseline and the idea of not coaching heart not coaching emotion you know just to name some names i mean you know javon blair wanted that game last night you know jake and mosley allen so i I think when you you say stuff like that if i'm on the team if i'm on the team i'm thinking like i i have heart i have emotion i wanted to win sure Sure. This this is not a, a, a broad swath of the whole team. There are obviously and, and and maybe everyone does have heart, okay, but there are certain players that aren't exhibiting that and yeah. there are certain players that are playing a lot of minutes that aren't exhibiting that. And there are certain players that are getting a ton of usage that aren't exhibiting that. And the problem is when you had four players essentially leave the leave the program you, you don't have the depth to make any changes that would change that would have any impact to change an outcome. So he's, he's, he's handcuffed in a way playing these guys that I think he knows you can't really rely on. Ben. Uh, I was just enjoying listening to, uh, to you guys. Um, yeah. I mean, look, <clears throat> fans, you know, the whole thing, fan is short for fanatic, yada, yada, yada. And anybody who looks at this situation and tries to apply standard logic to it is completely missing the point. When you only have seven players, and it's not like you have seven players where you have a traditional start. It's not their best seven players from the start of the year. It's not a traditional starting lineup. Effectively, they only have one forward in Pickett. Uh, you know, he, everything is bizarre and weird, and you have to get lucky in a hundred different ways to a degree. You know, foul trouble, hang don't know hangnails guys make shots for for this all to work. So like any conventional thinking that people want to have that I see is just, you know, you got to stop that. I mean, that would be my, that would be my argument if you want to live a sane life. Um, the rest of it, obviously it's frustrating that this was, you know, at this point, you know, my, I haven't looked at the net rating for a minute, but I assume I'm accurate to say that right now, Georgetown's not making the tournament at this pace. They basically have to go 500 in the big East probably uh, to, to get there barring, you know, beating, 
the you know the Villanovas and Seton Halls or something. And uh, you know that that's going to be a tough road at, at this point. And you know you kind of knew that was going to be a, a tough situation um, once all those players left. I mean they fortunately had a great end of the non-conference to put them in the position to have a shot. So when you only have these players, yeah, I mean Ewing can't make substitutions based on. Uh, if he per, if he agrees with that there's some guys who aren't putting enough effort, he can't do anything about it. They, well, what are you going to do? Put in George Mirasan? No offense to George Mirasan, he's a walk-on. He hasn't played. There's a reason that that, yeah. that. So, you know, he he only can do so much. Um, so, so so there's that. Florida, I mean, Florida, Florida Hoy about, brought up a good, a good point. He talked about focusing on the fourth sentence, which was the one of a lot of heart, emotion, and edge left the program, which. You know, I know, you know, we're, you know, obviously Ewing is this season going to be looked at differently. We all agree on that. But, you know, all those guys were his guys that left and three of them left in not a great way. Right. So I think that's where that part of it was just like, you know, if those guys had a better heart, a better edge. Maybe they would still be in the program. Well, but that's not the point. The, the point is that they're no longer there. And when they were playing basketball, I don't care about the off the court stuff for the purposes of really anything else other than how they played on the court. And, you know, Akinjo, he, he may not have listened to Ewing, of course, but he was a killer out there. Uh, LeBlanc was, you know, a defensive menace. Gardner, everyone was talking about him being the next Troic. I mean, so, you know, the, the kind of toughness that, that he had. Alexander showed plenty of emotion out there in the limited time that we saw him. That's, that's a lot to lose. That's, and Ben, you mentioned earlier, and they only have Pickett's the only forward on the team. I mean, there's just, Ewing just has no options. Um, I think he, and you know, you see the passion out of Ewing. It's not like a Chris Mullen situation where, you know, he's just kind of like dilly dallying on the sidelines, like twiddling his thumbs. I mean, Ewing's out there, he's yelling. He's, he, he has the passion. I think that it takes to succeed. I did like some of his uh, in, in-game change-ups. Change I mentioned uh, or I noticed that there was one time that they went to zone after a Butler timeout. It caused a bad shot, um, you know, at a crucial time. I mean, he's he's doing things that I think any college coach should do, but I, I totally understand his frustration, and I understand the fan base's frustration. But you just can't use this season – um, again, as a referendum because of the, the roster. I mean, I would just say this, and this is an answer that I do not know. We may, we may never find out. Um, James Akinjo cannot be the first basketball player to be difficult. <laughs> I'm right. going to bet. Just call me crazy, right? So it, it, he can't be the first point guard who, who's a volume shooter or, 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 or doesn't necessarily listen on every single play to the, what the coach wants. Okay, and look, the, the, you – that's part of the, you know, I mean, that's not ideal, but like you have to figure out what what this is. Now, maybe sometimes it does make sense for the benefit of everybody to move on. I don't know. But the question, if we're going to sort of put a referendum on this season, I do think a question is what happened there. Let's again, put put aside, he was not, as far as we know, was not involved in any of the legal scenarios. So put that aside. Um, what happened there? To the point, it doesn't matter anymore what happened in terms of Akinjo. It matters going forward, though, because if he couldn't mm-hmm. f- figure out how to make it work with this particular kid, who I think we all agree, just him, forget everybody else. Just, well, I mean, perfect world, LeBlanc is the one that if we're going to pick one guy. But, okay, you know, Akinjo is the best player. If he stays, um, I don't know how things would necessarily be different, but 
he was the best player, so why did he go? And if if the, if the answer sort of is Ewing, it didn't work for Ewing, well, then that to me is potentially problematic moving forward because, again, there will be other guys coming down the pike who who have their own thoughts on how to play basketball and as do tons of other players around the country. So that would be my one sort of referendum on the season. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, if they don't make the if they don't make the tournament based on all that's happened, I, I, I mean, I really don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think there's there's some validity there. I mean, I think I, Akinjo. I, I don't think Ewing worked for Akinjo rather than vice versa. I mean, I think Akinjo was, you know, wanted to be the guy. He he, he wanted to be the, the alpha dog, a, a shoot first point guard, and that doesn't really jive with what Ewing wants to do. And I just think there was a conflict, and it couldn't be resolved. I think it's it's. I don't think there's any doubt that the fan base thinks that the team, the offensive schemes work much better without Akinjo. Um, you know, I think nothing's really changed there. Um, I think we're better off that he's not on the team, actually. Um, and like you said, I think LeBlanc is the one guy that you kind of wish were still there. I think he could be the, the one difference maker because, again, we just don't have any depth at the, at the three or four. Okay. So, big tweet, good conversation. Um, but just going back to the way it was going, the way it was unfolding last night, the way that run happened, Georgetown's inability to have a plan B once McDermott kept getting open. I mean, I know that you mentioned they went zone. I actually talked to you about that afterwards. It's one of the questions I asked him. Zone is not something he really wants to do. I think the anger of the fan base is we're almost through three years of Patrick Ewing and the staff. And this has been the worst defense they've had three straight years by Ken Palm's measures. It only goes back to 97. Basically, there's a program that can't play defense. And I know I keep pointing out, if they don't score 80 points, they can't win a game against a major team, what I would consider a Big East school. They're 3-24 and if they don't get 80. College basketball games can be won when you score 64 points. Mm -hmm. Georgetown can't win a game when they score 64 points. So I think... When, you, when, when Georgetown's up by 11, you know, they have four or three points at the half. They're on their way to 80. They're on the way to where, like, their, like their sweet spot of winning a game. And you just watch over and over and over again. Someone will just come in and light Georgetown up. And I think that's that's at least what I was getting on Twitter is just how many years are we going to watch a Georgetown team that can't defend? And right now it's at year three. And he had guys, you know, last year. He had guys, he had, you know, a bigger roster his first year. He had Govan and Derrickson. You know, the guards weren't there, but the defense has kind of been consistent number-wise. I think that's where a lot of the frustration came last night for me. For yeah, stuff and I, I, was I, getting. I, 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 I totally agree with that. I think if we go through another offseason and there's not a change made to the staff to bring in some sort of, you know, defensive guru, um, like a lot of other teams have in some capacity, it, it's extremely problematic, and that's not going to be a good look for Ewing because he needs to become aware um, you know, heading into what will be year four of just what you said. I mean, this, the, the team just can't play defense. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, uh, well, going back to the beginning of the season, one question I had was how much would Ewing give, give McClung a rope if he couldn't defend because he was going to be an obvious uh, target for the other side when you had a full boat roster. And then once that went away, you have to play McClung every minute, basically. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying he's the only reason for, for, for the defense. I, I suspect you guys are not saying that either. But at the same point, 
it's that type of thing. When you lose your options, you have to take, you just have to go with what you, you have. You, you know, Bobby and I were joking about this earlier. You know, I get it. You want steak dinner. Here's what I got in the cabinet. I got some hot pockets, some pita, and some chicken broth. I can't make you steak. We'll figure out something. So they have to figure out something, and they don't have a particularly interesting defense. But I'll also go back to something I said on the, the, the when we did that emergency podcast when the first wave of uh, defections or deflections <laughs> um, were, 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 were announced, and that was we're going to see what kind of an actual coach Patrick Ewing is, not not in terms of motivating, not in terms of well, somewhat motivating, but but it's straight up X's and O's. This is what you have. You have a shorthanded situation, and what can you do? And maybe it's just unfair. Maybe he just simply can't possibly do certain things he would want defensively. But as you point out, this is not one year. This is three years. So, um, yeah, it, it is it is problematic for, for sure. And and I guess really the end of the day part of all this is if you – I know we still there's still enough time in this year to hypothetically turn some things around. But going forward, like – like we can sit here and say they have to improve the defense and I'm not going to pretend I know anything about the freshmen coming in other than the one kid that they were going to get. The big recruit is not going to Michigan. Uh, do they have the pieces? Like, I mean, we don't even know. We don't even know definitively if you're saving, they'll be back or, you know, Mosley is probably arguably their best defender right now. And at least on the wing, he's gone. Like, we don't, I mean, I, I can't sit here and go, this is going to be better. Is that scheme or personnel or whatever? So, you know, this is the thing. It isn't just this year for me. It's what happens next year, right? And and that's what well, makes this so so interesting because hey, uh, at some point you gotta you know you gotta fix these things to make the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I would say that you know if you put on some rose-colored glasses, that you know the flip side of that is Ewing was able to rattle off that win streak in the non-conference towards the end there, and had this team of seven players essentially within one possession of beating Marquette and Butler, um, you know, does he deserve credit for that or does he take blame for the team not winning those games? I mean, every game, I think what's frustrating for the fan base is that every close game that we're in, we kind of lose. Um, except well, Creighton. And that goes, uh, the, the, yeah. In a, in a very, very broad sense. I mean, again, every everything you could look at every specific game, but in a very broad sense, a close game to a degree is on the coach, or at least more more at that point. We sort of okay, what are you doing in those moments? The 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 out of the out of timeout play. What are you changing up your defense at the last minute? Do you know which players to put on the court? Who to what else? Like it, it does feel like this is where having a, a a coaching advantage comes into play. And again, you could point to a lot of things and suggest it's not Ewing's fault, but you're right. This last year too, they, they would be up on teams and then, you know, continually uh, <clears throat> below late leads. So at some point if well, we're going to say, well, when are you fixing the defense? That's part of it too. When are they going to sort of close things out? Sure. So just, just to look at last night real quick, you know, you, you talk about the, I guess, leaving McDermott open all the time. It was clear to me that, that Pickett just didn't rotate quick enough a lot, didn't close out quick enough on that and you know McDermott was wide open and hit 100 threes in the second half but in the last play uh or his last three they showed on the replay I don't know if you guys saw that in the arena but um I think Mosley and Terrell Allen were up top right. I forget who who it was that switched onto the, the the whoever was with the ball but he clearly motioned I think it was Mosley motioned that Terrell Allen was supposed to switch onto McDermott and Terrell Allen just never did it um I don't know if that's Ewing's fault, 
and and well, then that on was the what offensive they wanted. end, I mean, he talked about that. Well, also hold on, just on the offensive end, you know, Javon Blair running out of bounds. I don't think that's Ewing's fault. Um, you know, it just it's tough to put everything on the coach. I, you know, I, I, I again, I, I think I, I'm not enough like, of the defense to know that this is not a well-run defensive team. Like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I've seen enough of that. Like, I'm I'm pretty positive. Yeah. Yes, there's there's no and there's no doubt about that. I, I'm 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 not suggesting anything otherwise. I think this team needs a complete defensive overhaul. So I think I th- I think from I guess maybe we should have started out. We all agree that Patrick they could lose the rest of their games. He's coming back next year if he wants to coach. Agreed. Hundred percent, right? I mean, there's no question. And I would even say, if you're telling me someone's getting hired at a school like Georgetown or any of these major programs, you have to get four or five years because that's just kind of what you need. Like your whole your whole class, you know, from your recruits from day one to get you know to get to be a senior and all that stuff. But I think I think what some of the angst that is going towards the program, going towards Ewing, is, and this is you know this is a choice they decided to make, is that. The fans that were unhappy at the end of JT3, even though the style of play is different, not a whole much has changed, right? Like, it's Ewing instead of JT3. Waheed stayed on the staff. Kirby came back to the staff. He'd been there, okay? Ron Thompson's involved in the program somehow. He's got some role, I'm not exactly sure. And Louis Orr, who's obviously... What? Chief of staff. Okay. Chief of Staff, and Louis Orr, who's obviously connected to Patrick Ewing, um, is the one kind of outsider, and he was, I I believe he was retired, or he was not coaching at the time, so I think what a lot of people, even though it's year three, and I don't think a coach in year three should be on the hot seat, I think that the fan base that's dwindling, by the way, they're upset because they see this as an extension of what's been going on forever, right? That's kind of the problem. Um, I, I think the biggest problem is that I recall from Ewing's initial press conference um, when asked about, you know, what he thinks he needs to help him succeed. He pointed out that he needs assistants that, you know, were, were impressive in whatever roles they're going to take. And I don't think he's gotten that at all. I mean, with the exception of Kirby, who is an excellent recruiter, the other guys you mentioned, I, I, I don't think they're special. I don't think they're really bringing anything anything to the table that others could be doing. Um, and I don't know whether it's loyalty or stubbornness that has really pervaded the Georgetown program throughout the, the, the 80s and 90s um, is, is preventing Ewing from making any, change, making any changes. Um, but heading into next season, he's got to do something. Um, I'm, uh, as you both know, I, uh, primarily cover a uh, football team in my area and I'm doing like a mailbag right now. And one of the questions somebody asked is (laughs) they just had a coaching, a coaching change here. And one of the questions was, is the coaching staff better or worse than the one that was just here? And I haven't Mm -hmm. read the answer yet. My answer is going to be, if anybody tells you, they know they are lying. Like, how, how could anybody tell you if the linebacker's coach is better than the other one? I mean, somebody might tell me that, 
but I'm going, I mean, give me a break. Like nobody can possibly, you can make some assessments on some things if, you, if there's some known quantities, but by and large, you don't know. So like, I, I can't sit here and say definitively that the assistant coaches are the issue. I mean, I can, I can, I, you guys make the valid points. The defense is off. Um, you know, you know, we can de- discuss recruiting. I mean, it's been up and down. It's just, some of it's been interesting, but you know, some of it not, not, not so good. Um, is that on them? I mean, who who's setting the tone? Ultimately, the guy in charge is the one who is on some level dictating terms. But part of the thing with Patrick Ewing was he had never coached on this level. And while he had been an NBA assistant for many years and wasn't green, in that sense, he was on this front. And, you know, he'd also never been a head coach. That is different to be in charge. So, um, you know, ultimately, rather than look at the assistants, I'm just going to sort of focus – on him, and it isn't to say I'm saying he should go. Uh, no, but it's just to say I have no idea. <laughs> to be fair, what the assistants do, don't do at all the time. If, so, if other people do, good for them. I won't make that claim. But I, what, what I can say is, I talk to the, the head coach. I observe him. He talks to us. He's the one who articulates a message, and at times that message is, uh, I don't know. He, you know, <laughs> Bob, um, Bobby brought this up as a reminder from the opening press conference on media day. Um, I asked him what was something he learned about himself over the off season. And what, what was the answer, Robbie? He said he didn't have time to worry about that. He's just focused on going forward type of answer. Right. And granted mm-hmm. he could have given, you know, some other coach could have given some complete nonsense answer, but that's, I mean, but okay. I mean, at least you have thought of an answer. Like the fact that he was unwilling <laughs> To even to even answer the question, if I have to take him at his word, then he didn't have time to think about it, and that isn't great for anybody in any job. So, uh, to me, that's uh, problematic. Again, I definitely am not saying I would move on from him. Three years is not enough, and this year is a bizarro year because of all that's gone down. But um, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I, I just say I, I'll focus more on Ewing than I will the. Uh, the other people, even if they ultimately make changes, I wouldn't sit here and say that would be wrong. Well, I wasn't really – my point for bringing up the assistance wasn't that I'm blaming everything on them. It's more that I think if they had brought – like, let's say they had brought in Shaka Smart three years ago. If the exact same things had happened under a coach that was considered outside of the Thompson family – then I think there wouldn't be this like uproar over losing to Butler in game 22 or whatever. But I think because right. everything kind of looks the same, you're just like, yep. you know, I think the, like I said, the fan base that's still there is like, look, I was tired of this in 2017 and you, you didn't really change a whole lot. And it's still kind of bad. That that was yep. sort of my point. Yeah, no. And I, I that's, that's absolutely true. It, it's incredibly frustrating. Look, no one's happy. No one's, right. no one's excited about the, the trajectory of the program right now. Um, I don't know really what change is feasible that could change that. Um, Ewing is not going anywhere until he's bowing out. I think similar to the Mullen situation in St. John's, how that ended. But we we knew this. We we knew going into the the Ewing hire that this this could happen and this. You, this marriage is only going to end in an ugly fashion unless he steps away. And I just don't think he should right now, because I do think that the brand itself as a whole, it has changed from JT three. I know you're talking about everything being sort of the same. Yeah. The results are, are similar, but I do think the brand has recovered 
from that tail end of the JT3 era, where the the Georgetown brand became really, you know, associated with the Princeton offense, this slow down, boring brand of basketball that no one really wanted to come to the school and, and, and play in um, to, you know, in, in just one year, Ewing turned the offense into the, the fastest, most, you know, most up-tempo team in the, in the, in the conference and started getting more talented kids. Uh, so I, I do think the trajectory is still going the right way, even though the results aren't there. Um, does that make sense? Well, I mean, yes and no, because, again, I'm not going to pretend I know the recruiting class. What are we looking for in 2020? Well, again, it, it, it's tough to, to – we're kind of picking up the pieces again, right? Because, you know, you didn't anticipate losing Right, but I mean, JT3 had, Tremont, JT3 had Tremont Waters, and then that the same thing happened to him. So, like, that's an equal swap. He lost Tremont Waters, and Ewing lost this kid. Uh, well, the, the this, this kid, kid is, is, but this kid is four kids. I'm talking about the, all the kids that left this season, and suddenly you've got to replace those scholarships. Um, right, but know, I mean, late, but, late but he is recruiting season. Regardless of what happened, he is the coach, though. Some he he, yeah. he in one way or the other, he was involved in those things. So I mean, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with your point, but to that end, to what I mean, to what what is the end result of him? changing things around. I mean, look, I would argue that to your point that things have gotten picked up largely because they play a much better schedule <laughs> and they're actually mm-hmm. on television in real games against real teams. Yep. What's the tournament they're playing in California next year against like I think the wooden... Virginia? Mm-hmm. So it was like Virginia, yeah, UCLA. Like or UCLA, mm-hmm. right. Yep. So like that, like stuff like that puts them back on the map. And because he's Patrick Ewing, you know, I saw some, interview he did the other day with Jackie McMullen on ESPN, that, that other coaches, you know, wouldn't, you know, uh, Jamie and Christian head coach Georgetown doesn't get that interview, right? Because it's Patrick. Mm-hmm. So, so, he, so those things help, but um, what, you know, wh- as I'm saying, like, where, where are we at? Like, for, forget, I mean, forget the Gonzaga kid. What else is happening? Who else is coming in next year? I mean, it's still time to recruit, I'm saying, but that only, that only works um, if he brings kids in. And JT3 had, had a much tougher run in the sense that, uh, he, I mean, he had – things were starting to accumulate, and obviously the, the, the heat was getting high on him. There's no heat on Ewing. The, the, there, was, there was something that happened here with, this, with these guys leaving, but there's no actual heat on Ewing. JT3 was definitely feeling it, which led to Tremont Waters leaving and, and so on. But um, I don't know. I mean, if, if things are changing, recruiting is the number one way to show that, and – at the moment, I don't know. Again, you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm not positive what they have for recruiting, but my sense is there's not much coming in next year that you're going, wow, look, look, at, look at the fruits of their labor. I think the way to put it is next year, well, they're going to have to get a grad transfer too, is my guess. They're at least going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and by but, the way, what's the deal with this kid, this kid from Kentucky, right? Like that's like a – I mean, you know, I don't know if this is a He wouldn't be full... eligible next year. Oh, he wouldn't even be eligible for next, for next year? No. Kind of second semester? I mean, unless some there's some crazy like excuse or waiver, but he's just a freshman. He played second semester. It's not like but he's a he's, grad transfer. But if he's Josh Smith's second cousin, twice removed. <laughs> yes, Josh they Smith. were. Or Julian Vaughn. I know he was able to play immediately. I think there was a family member involved. Um, but yeah, he's not someone that would be a part of next year's team unless there was some 
odd extenuating circumstance. But so to put it right now, based on who you know is coming back and who you know is coming as a freshman, this is this is a team that'd probably be picked, you know, eight, nine or ten in the big east, right? I think. Because they actually lose some pretty good pieces of a team that's probably gonna finish eight, eight, nine or ten. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really that you're hanging your head on to think that they would be projected to finish in the top half of the conference. Given who's coming in now, they could end up with two great grad transfers that we have no idea who they are right now, and that might fix everything. But, as you know, as it is today. Right. So, so yeah. So, um, so we've done a good job talking. Do we want to take a couple Twitter questions? We probably had our best responses four Twitter questions, and we're going to only get to a couple of them. I assume most of them are about my trip to Vegas. <laughs> and by the way, for for a, for an apathetic, so-called apathetic fan base, I was kind of impressed with the amount of uh, participation on Twitter and the number of Georgetown-related tweets that um, occupied my timeline, and I'm sure both of yours last night and into today. Agreed. I wasn't at the game last night, but I've, I've actually thought that the crowds have been, you know, fairly reasonable at some of these games. Um, yeah, I actually, yeah, I wasn't there. Well, uh, those late starts suck. But um, I thought I, I thought last night, uh, just to try, watching on TV, I thought the crowd was pathetic. And I don't know how many people were there. I'm talking about just the crowd itself, just just being. I think I commented at some point. It looked like it was a morgue, and where you know it's a tie game with three minutes left. I mean. It's, that's a whole other podcast topic, but well, terrible. It was like eleven like fifteen. Anyway, who, come on, man. Who cares? That, that, I mean, every team plays a nine o'clock game. Well, they get another chance on next week. They play Seton Hall at eight thirty, so it'll be a little. It'll be like ten forty-five instead of eleven fifteen. So maybe, maybe it'll be yeah. a rocking, a rocking arena. Um, we're getting a lot of questions about why isn't Ewing playing Cutis and Omir at the same time, which is a pretty good question considering, um, you know, like we mentioned, Pickett's the only scholarship forward. You only have Mirasan. You know, now you're two and six. You really have to get on a roll to kind of accomplish anything. Why not? And Cutis looks like he's the future, right? East. Yeah, love him. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, had not, I, I had not spoken with him yet. Um, but he was one of the players made available at Monday's press conference. So I just made a point of sitting down with him and having sort of a human conversation and, um, you know, just sort of talked about getting, you know, just into school, things like that. And then from a basketball perspective, uh, basically said, Hey, you know, obviously it's one thing for any player to have Patrick Ewing as a coach, but as a big man, that's gotta be freaking awesome. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, gets out on the court with me sometimes, things like that. But he said that he is, working on playing away from the basket, like almost trying to be a four. Now, I don't know if that's he'll be able to do that enough for this year to be effective with, with your save. And I mean, in the moment, that's really not a, a look that works right in the modern basketball. But if, you know, your Taven can make a three, I just don't know if one of them can guard somebody on the perimeter. So um, I, I think that's probably the ultimate issue. Again, they don't have tons of options. So there's only so much right. you can do, but you know, basically can, can one of them, guard somebody or can you you know uh, on the perimeter even if you go zone ben, you know you ben, have to get out ben, of the corner ben 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 it's not as if anyone else is guarding anyone on the perimeter Ooh. well there's there's two factors on that there, there there's 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 the reality and then there's what are you are you trying to do the best you can well i would 
finish with this comment on on this question. You know, when you bring in three freshman scholarship centers, you should probably consider playing some of them together because, you know, why are you bringing in three freshmen? I mean, when they had a full roster, it was sort of like, oh, that's kind of weird. But then when all of your forwards transfer, and, you know, yeah. sometimes announcers make the mistake of saying, well, Georgetown's done to seven scholarship players. Well, that's not true. They have nine. It's just that they have, yeah. like, two projects that they just, in 2019-2020, basketball's not played that way, and they decided to go, like, jumbo package, and it's really <laughs> hurting them right now. You know, one of those guys could be sort of a project forward that you throw out there because you have to, and, you know, maybe, you know, there's it just gives you different options. So I think he should play them together based on the fact that why did you bring them all in together? Like, you need to play them. At this point, you got nothing to lose. Might as well see how it looks for a few minutes. Next question. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not we got a couple just... people asking, why should I still keep caring about Georgetown basketball? And my answer would be, well, you know, what you care about in your free time is kind of based on your options. So I don't know what – I don't know what um, Hoyas, three, two, four, four, what the other options you have. But, you know, I can't really make that assessment. <laughs> I, I I would say as as the lone graduate of Georgetown on this podcast that you know when when the when the team wins you feel better the next day right I mean you feel better about your your college you feel better about your 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 team you kind of walk around with your your chest higher the next day that kind of thing it gives you some bragging rights with you know some some fans or some friends of yours who went to other schools um, so you should care because it feels good when you win. The problem is, like I said, to kick off this thing, sports is pain. You can't, it, when you lose, you just can't really take it to, to heart is the problem. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of fans, a lot of fans, and it's good, it's good to have a passionate fan base, but got to be able to com- compartmentalize the losses. Steve M. Medlock asks, why are we being punished? What can we do to make amends? <laughs> Uh, why are we being punished? Yeah, what did we really do wrong? Um, you, you know what I would say? You know what I would it, say? Is this the, uh, the Jeff date? Green travel against Vanderbilt? No. What was the <laughs> date when they had the when they had the new court contest and like there was a, and they ultimately picked the design, not the one that was good, but the design that was basic? Track me from that date backwards and tell me <laughs> if there's not if there's not a court curse. But they have okay. they have Kente now. Ah, but you know. People that be just happen then. The song's land. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank everyone for tweeting at us. We did a terrible job of answering a lot of these. Well, we, good... we might need we might need to do a part two on this. This is pretty good. We can, but based on the way that we do this podcast, we do not have time on this particular oh. episode. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes. Uh, you know what? We got we got to upgrade the technical abilities plus we got to get intro and outro music that's a big problem for some people um andrew geiger casual hoya ben standing the athletic subscribe to the athletic check out casual hoya check out our podcast guys it's always a pleasure catch you next time uh toodles good night